Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, October 25th, 2021. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, how are things going? Very good. Thank you, Graham. Just had one of our colleagues stay in our holiday bounds for a few days, so it was nice to catch up with them. Yeah, I heard. Um, very cool stuff. I had to ask you, is, is Halloween like a thing in the UK or it's just an American thing? Oh, it's now a thing in the UK because we've seen American TV, I guess. And <laughs> it's all about, yeah, it's definitely here. Oh, uh, okay. All right. So yeah, it's, um, it's not really in Paris too much. I mean, they're, you know, they're decorating the stores a bit, but you can't go knocking on people's doors <laughs> asking for candy. I think you'd get, um, you know, the door shut in your face or something. Uh, so they're not quite there yet, but, uh, but getting there, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's, <laughs> What's been going on with, you know, MBA admissions? Because I swear, um, I was, you know, it seems like there's been a flood of activity. I saw interview invites coming from, you know, Ross. And, and I, you know, I noticed that last week we talked on the podcast about Booth and will Booth release? And sure enough, they released like the day after we recorded and before, before we aired the episode. Um, so there's been a lot of activity, but do you want to walk through some of the stuff that's been happening? Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail because it has been quite busy, as you said, um, Booth and Ross, um, a bit, some of the big players this week, but just lots of schools. I mean, there are those schools like Stanford and, and Haas and, and stuff that continue to trickle out their interview invites, but some of these bigger players that have these um, specific days when they release um, invites, they've been been out there um, full on. And then, yeah, this week, Wharton will be the big player, right? So... I mean, there's just a lot, a lot of activity going on right now. And we wish everybody the best of luck that are getting these interview invites because they're one step closer to to gaining that admission. Yeah, agreed. I love this time of year. I love seeing the interview invites flow. I also think it's important for candidates to understand like what percentage of the pool is getting an interview at, at your target school, right? Because it does vary quite a bit. Um, so keep that in mind. We talked about that a little bit before with respect to like Harvard. And, you know, I know Stanford does a very deep cut as well, whereas some other schools are interviewing a larger chunk. Um, but yeah, interesting stuff. We've got over on the website, we've been continuing to roll out a lot of good content. Speaking of Halloween, we, we did an article um, that I helped with called Spooky Admissions Mistakes. And it's all about, you know, the horror stories that candidates can sometimes unwillingly uh, unleash on admissions readers. So, Definitely a must read if you're working on your applications or interviews. Not to call you out here, Graham, but I think you mean unwittingly. Unwittingly. Oh, what did Not I say? Unwillingly. <laughs> These are the mistakes oh. you shouldn't be making in your, your MBA essays, Graham. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> so <laughs> so there, there's some good um, there's some good stuff uh, in there to read. Um, yeah, we had a blast. There are probably one too many puns, but take a look and uh, and you'll see. Uh, the other thing was we're still doing these real humans pieces where we sit down with, you know, a handful of current students um, in these MBA programs. And so we did one when, with students from NYU Stern. And we also checked in with students from Arizona State University's Cary School of Business. So those are a lot of fun. I just love, you know, hearing about the stories and, you know, how everyone like arrived at business school. Um, kind of like what we do here. You know, we talk about real candidates. And so it's just fun to kind of dig into those as well. And I also wanted to point out that the interview reports have started to flow into the site. You know, obviously, once you have an interview at a school, you can contribute to the Clear Admit Interview Archive. And I see many of our um, listeners and site users are doing that. So that's good to see because nothing like real time intelligence, you know, as you prepare for an interview. So that's gold. Very good. Very good. 
So the other thing uh, that I wanted to mention is that I sat down with Eric Askins, who's the executive director of NBA admissions over at uh, Berkeley's Haas School. And we had a great uh, conversation. That should air soon. I think it'll probably be another week or so, but stay tuned for that. It was just it really cool to sit down with him. I, I really like working with him. He's come on some of our essay workshops and just such a bright guy. And he, he just always has a lot of insights to share. So that was fun. So what did you learn, Graham? <laughs> Uh, let's see, I'll just pick out a tidbit. I guess one of the things I learned is that, um, they read by industry and by educational institutions. So they, they literally, you know, will have someone or probably a couple people in their office who are like reading all the consulting apps or they, they have these sort of benchmarks. So they, they're really organized and sort of systematic about how they read their files. And the other thing that struck me coming from Wharton is that, they do committee for every candidate. Um, and that means that, you know, they sit down and debate each and every candidate as a committee to make that final decision. Whereas at many other schools, you know, including Wharton, it was sort of like, well, if it's an obvious deny or an obvious, or should we say clear admit, um, then, you know, that was kind of a done deal. Just the director would sort of look at it quickly and sign off. And then we would, you know, negotiate and debate in committee about the sort of middle group where we weren't sure, you know, but it sounds like at Haas, because they have a small class, they're literally sitting down and talking through each and every applicant, which is interesting. Yeah, very interesting. I'd not heard of that approach before. Yeah, it's, um, it's time consuming, but they have a smaller class, so they can, you know, they can pull it off. Um, it sounds like they work really hard to do it, but still, you know, they're, they're only 300 in their class. So that makes it a little bit easier, I guess. Um, other than that, I know you've picked out some, some great candidates for this week's discussion. I did want to plug, we're doing an event on November, November 10th, uh, about deferred enrollment. So these are the, you know, you can apply to top business schools as a college student and get an, you know, get an acceptance letter that's good for after you've worked for a couple of years. So you can kind of, um, go into the workforce with that in your back pocket. And I did talk with Eric at Berkeley about that, um, specifically because he had some good advice there too and was, was kind of pointing out all the, the interesting element of like the risks that you can take if you have an acceptance letter. You know, you could go and start a company or do something a little bit different um, than you might ordinarily, you know, play it safe if you haven't yet gotten into business school. So um, we're doing an event all about deferred enrollment and the schools that are joining us are Wharton, Columbia, Chicago, Berkeley, and Carnegie Mellon Tepper. Um, and so that'll be November 10th at, I think it's noon Eastern. So stay tuned, we'll get more details um, across to you on that. And, uh, yeah, I don't know if you had anything else, Alex, before we kind of move into the actual candidates. I don't know if you, <laughs> did you see our ratings went up on, on Apple podcasts? No, you, you did tell me before we started uh, yeah. this recording, Graham. So <laughs> let's spill the beans. Yeah. So we, I really appreciate everyone who kind of went over to Apple podcasts and gave it a nudge. Cause we now are over a hundred ratings. Um, we're still at the kind of five star mark or 4.9. So appreciate whoever it was that went in to nudge us over the, you know, over the mark into the triple digits. That's awesome. We haven't had any reviews in a while, so we'll take reviews. If you enjoy listening, you can leave us a review on Apple podcasts. Um, I did also, Alex, I don't know if you know this, but we're now available on Amazon music as well. So you can listen on Amazon, you can listen on Spotify, Apple, I think pretty much anywhere. You can listen on our website as well, but uh, Amazon was like sort of the final frontier and we're finally, uh, yeah, we're there. So that's kind of cool too. Fantastic. Which other, which are the other big MBA admissions podcasts, Graham? I, I'm not even that aware. I think, well, you know, um, Stacey Blackman has one right. that's a bit, it's sort of shorter. I think the episodes are like, you know, eight to 10 minutes long. 
And they're very much focused on like admissions uh, strategy. So they'll give like a piece of advice. Uh, other than that, I know Linda Abraham from accepted.com has one that she's done for probably longer than we have. Um, and I'm not sure what else. I mean, there, there are a handful out there. Um, but yeah, I mean, ours is clearly the best, Alex. <laughs> No doubt. But right. it'd be kind of in, it would be interesting to know what, what others are out there. Maybe if, if any of our listeners are, are listening to other um, sim, similar type podcasts, they, they could send us an, an email, Graham. Let us know what they are. And yeah, yeah. It, I'd, I'd, I'd be interested to know, frankly. Yeah. And honestly, you know, our goal, as you know, is to just get people into business school, help people find paths to, you know, be really knowledgeable about this process. So yeah, if someone's listening to another podcast that they really like, shoot us an email, info at clearadmit.com. And uh, yeah, just let us know and we'll, we'll spread the word here. So um, yeah, the good, good idea, Alex. Um, do you want to move into the candidates? We've got three that you picked out. I think they're all apply wire entries. So there's a lot going on here. <laughs> yeah, let's kick on. All right. So this is Wiretaps candidate number one. So this person wants to start business school, I guess, in the fall of 23. So they're going to be applying next fall. And they don't have any schools on their target list. They just indicate that they're undecided because they're a bit early in the process. And before business school, their career is essentially, they, they worked as an army infantry officer. Um, they're doing some other stuff now because they just recently um, came out of the military. Um, they'd love to get into consumer goods or, you know, I think in particular, they want to work in kind of the sports industry. So like they would love to work for Nike or Reebok or Under Armour or any of these big um, athletic companies. Uh, their GPA in undergrad was a 3.7. I believe they said they went to Iowa State University, double major in criminal justice and sociology. Uh, they've worked for, I guess, about three years at this point. Um, it'll be more by the time they go to school. And they're located in Minneapolis. Twin Cities, uh, and they don't really care where they go post-MBA in terms of geography. And I just wanted to mention that they left a note for us. They said, hey, Alex and Graham, huge fan of the podcast, and I've been binge listening, trying to pick up any pieces of knowledge that I can. And they also mentioned that our an earlier episode influenced their kind of career plan, which I thought was so cool. Um, but Alex, what do you make of this candidate? Because there's a bit of a wrinkle in that they've come out of the military, they're doing some work now, but it's it, they're in a little bit of limbo and they're having yet applied and they haven't taken the test. So there are a lot of kind of things to address. But what do you make of this candidacy? Yeah, potentially a very strong candidate, honestly, Graham. I mean, 3.7 GPA. Um, I, I, when I say a very strong candidate, I'm thinking more of that sort of striver bootstrapping type category, whether that's the right label or term is, is, is open to debate. But I mean, th this person obviously went to school. They they use the military. Looks to me like anyway to pay for their school. Um, they excelled through through throughout those programs, and then they went into the military and continued to excel, and and so on and so forth. And we know that um, that um, top business schools like military candidates on the whole. Yeah. Um, so from that perspective, Graham, I, I'm really quite high on this candidate. Um, 3.7 GPA, um, they haven't taken the GMAT yet, I don't think. So, you know, they've got to go all in and really push for a high GMAT score um, because the GMAT could ultimately become their, their, their weakest point or it could map with everything else and, and, and be strong too. So that would be very good. Um um, they've done MBA math in recognition that they've got their history major. 
So that's smart to me, right? They, they've sort of taken mm-hmm. they, they They've been proactive. I'm a little unclear what they're currently doing. And this, again, to me, might be their weakest um, aspect of their candidacy. They've left the military. They're working now. Um, but I'm not sure that what, you know, in terms of what they're currently doing in terms of their overall impact and growth and how it maps to their goals. It might well have been that they've had somewhat of an epiphany. They, they, their goals are now focused on their um, out-of-work activities, athleticism and athletics and so on and so forth, going back into maybe the, you know, working for brands that you mentioned a little bit earlier, would make a lot of sense. But how are they going to articulate their decisions from leaving the military to when they're applying to business school? That might be a little bit of a... A, a challenge for them if they can overcome that challenge graham if they get a great gmat why not this this person should be aiming pretty high i would think yeah it's interesting you know the whole situation is interesting in that they mentioned that you know they, they came out of the military and they've been working for a small um startup that a friend has set up that really is it's kind of a they work on residential homes bring them up to rental code for higher opportunity neighborhoods i'm assuming in minneapolis or in that area so it's, yeah, it's sort of like, a, I mean, clearly it's, it's paying the bills potentially. It Maybe it's, you know, it's probably interesting work, but it's not, it doesn't sort of fit with the trajectory. So I think they need to um, think about that and what, what can they do between now and when they apply to sort of shore up that piece of their candidacy. But I do agree with you. I mean, they, they shared some really um, impressive stuff. They indicated that um, when you do ROTC, that you get ranked nationally upon graduation in areas like, you know, academics, leadership, performance, extracurriculars. And this candidate received the honor of placing top 10% in the nation. And so he was awarded a, you know, title of distinguished military graduate. And it sounds like he continued to excel, like you pointed out, you know, while in the military. So there's a lot to like here. Um, it, I just want to note that he said he plans on taking MBA math. So I don't think he's taken it yet. Um, but I, you know, but still, that's a great idea. And obviously, acing the GMAT would be terrific. So, I, yeah, I feel like if they can get those ducks in a row and, I don't know, just stay active with the exercise science community, which is what they want to do post-MBA, um, that things should start to shape up for them. And I, I think, you know, kind of sky's the limit. So I, I would encourage this person to sort of keep us abreast of what happens. And then we can think about what schools take shape from that. Because it's unclear to me, I mean, do you have any ideas? Like what kind of a school should someone go to who wants to work for Nike or Under Armour or any of these kind of, you know, exercise, um, you know, consumer good type companies? Is it, yeah, I, I don't know where, you know, and it, I guess it depends on what role they would want. It's an operations role, you know, strategy role. Is it a marketing role? So that may influence too. But do you have any thoughts? I don't, I don't know where to go for that. Yeah, I mean, I, the, the schools that come top of mind for me would be like Kellogg or Ross or something like that. You know, they're, they're just stereotypical brands that you would fit into that um, pathway, I think. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Kellogg would be in the, in a higher tier than Ross, so they're spreading their risk a little bit. They've got to apply to more than two schools. Yeah, um, Indiana but, maybe? Indiana yeah, Kelly. Indiana, so they're, they're for another tier. Um, yeah. And, and uh, you know, maybe there's somewhere between Ross and Indiana too. Um, but it's, yeah... There's still a few unknowns here, which is fine because they're applying next season. Right. Um, but the key here is, 
um, this pathway that they've started to 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 develop, which is fantastic. Um, they need to, you know, like you say, maybe explore that further in their volunteer activities now to get re-engaged or more engaged in the athletic community so that when they talk to the ADCOM about their short-term goals and long-term goals, they could say, well, you know, this is what I'm currently doing to sort of shore that side of it up. Whilst working with my friend's startup where I'm learning a bunch of skills that I'm going to be able to transfer to whatever it is, right? So yeah. starting to think about, all right, how can you logically justify what you're currently doing that, that becomes the, the, the right next steps for what you're planning to do post-MBA? Truly going all in on that GMAT. I mean, to me, and I hate to say it, Graham, the GMAT, I think it's going to bear quite a lot of significance here because if they came back with, let's say, a 730 or 40 on the GMAT with their great GPA, with MBA math, with their great experience in the military and, and, and pre-military and so on and so forth, then you're looking at the M7 type, you know, the Kellogg type yeah. program. And yeah. if you're stepping down a little bit from that, you know, you're 700 plus GMAT, but not quite up there, then it maybe, maybe it is the Ross type program. But I mean, I guess my point is the GMAT will matter. Yeah, agreed. And it sounds like I, what I love about this is they have time. Right? Yes. So they can literally devote the whole spring to taking that test, take it once or twice. And then take yeah. it again. <laughs> exactly. Um, so again, it's terrific that they are ahead of the game. Um, I think they have some things to work on. It sounds like they know what they need to work on. Yeah. And I would encourage them to start doing a little bit of research into schools. You know, we named three. I was actually wondering about whether they should look at, um, you know, out in the Pacific Northwest, if they're really interested in Nike. I know they hire a lot from some of the schools out that way. So they, they have some places they could look like Foster, um, you know, even the California schools. So in any event, um, lots to do, and I'm confident they're going to do it. So very cool. Really appreciate them sharing their, um, their candidacy with us and, you know, some kind words about the show. Um, but let's move on, Alex, and talk about Wiretap's candidate number two. So this is another apply wire entry that we received, and this person's trying to start school uh, next fall. Um, they've got 11 schools on their target list, and they are Carnegie Mellon, Cornell, Duke, Emory, Georgetown, Indiana, Michigan, Foster, UNC, UT Austin, and Vanderbilt. Um, this person's been working at a small company that's like a tech integrator, um, so I, we'll get more details on what that means. And they want to stay kind of in tech post-MBA. They'd love to work at a company like Amazon or IBM, Nova, Microsoft. Their GMAT score is a 700, and their GPA is a 3.07. They've got seven years of work experience, and they're actually 32 years old, so a little bit older than most candidates. There's a story to that, so we'll get into it. Um, they're a white male from a low-income background, first-generation college student. They actually started in community college and then transferred to a four-year university. And they kind of struggled early on, but they did mention that the GPA in their last couple of years was actually a 3.7. Um, degree was in history. They took MBA math already, and it sounds like they did well. Um, you had some dialogue with this candidate, and I just was kind of curious what you think because you know, the numbers are not jumping off the charts here. They're older. Um, they have kind of a, maybe you can shed some light on why they have seven years of experience, but are only 32, um, or sorry, are th already 32, but only with seven years. Because normally if you think of seven years post-college, that would make them like, you know, 29 or something. So walk us through what you know about this candidate and what you think their chances are. Yeah, I mean, the, the, 
this is going to be a little bit challenging, but this, this, this candidate, Graham, is, is your bootstrapper, is your striver. This, this person has um, obviously sort of gone on, gone on quite a long road to get to where they are today, but has also come very far, right? Yeah. Um, and, and that's why Adcom actually really does like the sort of first gen to college type candidate, the the person that's really made the most of their opportunities, despite not necessarily having the mentors and so on and so forth, laying that sort of pathway forward for them, which is going to be the case for lots of candidates, right? In terms of they they have a pretty well trodden path and they just execute on it. Strivers, they don't have that. And this to me is the, the sort of atypical um, strivers. So they took longer to get their undergraduate degree. Their first generation to college, they switched campuses um, they struggled and then they ended up doing quite well their overall GPA is going to be a, a, a question mark but they you know their, their final two years so there's good progression there they have a history degree so what did they do they took MBA math again that's very uh, positive because they're recognizing that there's potentially going to be a question mark there on the quant side with a history degree um, their GMAT, you know, they've spent four years go, moving it up from a 450 to a 700. So I'm like, hat tip to that because <laughs> that's super impressive to have that dedication to do that and so on and so forth. You're going to argue that the quant score is going to expose them a little bit in terms of um, that, that 47 number. But <laughs> How do you know well, I was going to argue that? Well, you already told me that, Greg, <laughs> so I'm, I'm very clever like that. But the point is, they've done MBA math. They've done everything that they can in that regard so the other thing that that i like about this candidate is that their work experience actually sounds pretty decent Graham. yeah um you know in terms of they've hit the ground running they've got into a situation it sounds like they've done very well so that's where the strength of the candidacy really to me sort of flourishes so if they can really show their impact and i say show not tell but show their impact at work and so on and so forth. Um, that's the high point of, of the application. They're a striver that's come far, but now they've gotten into a good situation and they've done very well. So that has to be um, a, a positive. Yeah. But it is a conundrum, Graham, because at the end of the day, where should this person be targeting in terms of, 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 of the sweet spot for the schools that they're applying? And because of that, they're going to have to probably apply to a number of schools um, to, to, to hit that sweet spot. Should it be top 16? Should it be higher? Should it be top 16? Should it be top 20? I struggle with that here. Yeah, it's tricky. I, you know, I, I do agree with you, though, that, you know, they pointed out that they started in a, in a role that was like $24,000 a year office manager kind of role which, you know, is kind of an admin type role in many instances. And then they moved up, you know, to operations manager and then general manager. And then suddenly they were managing, you know, 14 plus direct reports and, you know, directing teams to complete projects across the whole U.S. And, you know, and then by the end of it, they're going to China to establish international, you know, relationships with like manufacturers for their products. And, um, you know, so this, it is a really cool story and they're making like 85 grand at the end of this. Right. So, um, or currently, I guess. Right. So it's, it's an interesting story. Um, at the same time, you know, they took six years to get through college because they were working part-time. And as we know, they started in kind of, a, um, you know, community college. And so 
it's it's an interesting story. I, personally, as I read it, I was like, wow, you know, and they have a good head on their shoulders. They know what they want to do post-MBA. They already have thought, talked about, you know, um, there's this sort of um, operations program manager position at Microsoft. Lenovo's got this global future leaders program. So they have these kind of leadership programs that they're targeting. Amazon's got one um, that's called Pathways, I guess. So in any event, they seem to know what they want. And I really appreciate that. And I think an admissions reader is going to appreciate that as well. But on the other hand, you know, um, the GMAT is, is, is 700, but it has, you know, I can't remember. I know I looked this up before we came on air, but I think it was like 59th percentile on the quant, 90th percentile on the verbal. So it's a little weak on the math, but they did MBA math, right? So I don't know. I mean, I know the question you were asking me is like, where should they apply? And they did tell us that they already applied to Vanderbilt and UNC in the first round. And I think those are two excellent programs. Um, they're, you know, UNC probably a little harder to get into than Vanderbilt, but both are, you know, really good um, options. I guess the question is, is they want to know where to apply in round two. And they were looking for some guidance from us and they have a lot of, li- you know, they have like nine other schools on their list. Right. So it's a tough call. I mean, I, I was kind of thinking about Georgetown because of the proximity to the new Amazon hub um, and their track record with, you know, tech placements of late. Um, Carnegie Mellon could be great, although that's, you know, moving up in the rankings kind of thing. So hard to know where the chips will fall there. Uh, you know, if they really want to work at Microsoft, then Foster becomes a really good option. But again, these are, you know, kind of arguably certainly top 20, if not top 16 type schools. And so, I don't know. It's it's tricky. Um, those are some of the ones. UT Austin could be really smart given proximity to everything that's happening in Austin with tech. But do you agree with those? I mean, they, they had other ones on the list too, so I don't know where to <laughs> point them. No, I, I I agree with those, and and we shared a couple um, back and forth in, in the comments. Um, but what we haven't talked about, Greg, this this guy, uh, I, I don't know actually. Yeah, white male. This guy is gen, um, currently unemployed, so they restructured out of their job due to COVID. Ah, okay. So when they apply in the second round, they're going to have six months of no work. How does that impact the picture? Yeah, that's, um, I mean, frankly, um, it's recent, the unemployment. It's COVID-related. They're applying to school. And so I think as long as they can show that they're keeping busy. Yeah. Um, and by that, I mean, not sitting on the couch, you know, watching Netflix or playing Xbox or something like they need to be active. And it sounds like they are doing some stuff. They said they became a mentor and a coach for first generation students and a nonprofit organization. They're tutoring math kids. So hopefully they can sort of keep that all going. Um, I guess the question is, is do you think that it makes sense for someone to use the sort of layoff as an opportunity to say, you know what, I got laid off. It's COVID related. And that led me to kind of reflect on what my next step is. And I realized that an MBA was the right path. Or, or do you think they should say, wow, I was going to, you know, I had planned to apply all along and I, this layoff is unexpected. I, I don't know what, what do you think makes sense there? I think just being honest and transparent. Yeah. So depending on which camp they were in, right, I think okay. that makes perfect sense. Yeah. They can use it as the, the, the nudge to say, all right, now I need to go get an MBA. Or like you say, they could have been planning this um, all along. But I think the key is you've got to show that you're busy. So whether it's in a volunteer capacity or 
you know, do, you know, doing something um, productive and so on and so forth during this time. It might not have had so much impact in round one, but round two, it'd be January. It'll be a few additional months. Right. Um, so and this candidates clearly said, I'm not retaking the GMAT because obviously they've squeezed that lemon dry. <laughs> they've done it. That's very good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I wish them the best <laughs> of luck. This is going to be challenging, but it wouldn't surprise me they could end up at a program like Ross, or it wouldn't surprise me that they're looking at that top 20, 25 band. It's, it's, it's hard to really pinpoint, Graham. I think maybe, you know, how they do with, with um, Owen and UNC will be early signal in terms of which way they should be venturing for the next round. Yeah, great point. Um, the last thing I wanted to say about this candidate is just that you know, and this is more of a lesson for everyone listening. You know, sometimes people say, oh, I got laid off, but, it, you know, I've been laid off for like five or six months. I'm applying to school and they're like, this is great. I'm just going to use all this extra time to, you know, take the GMAT and get my applications ready and, you know, do MBA math. And and I think we've said this before, Alex, but that's a no-no. I mean, obviously you can do all that, but you need to do other stuff too. It's not, it's never yeah. acceptable to tell an admissions committee that, you know, oh, I use the extra time to get ready for business school and apply because, Remember, most people are working full-time, really intensive jobs while they're applying. So, Correct. Um, so that doesn't cut it. So in any event, yeah, I want to thank that person for sharing their profile. Um, let's move on, though, and talk about Wiretap's candidate number three. So this is another ApplyWire entry. And again, this person's applying right now to start next fall. They have only five schools on the target list, and those schools are INSEAD, London Business School, Kellogg, NYU, and UCLA. And they've been working in sales and business development in Singapore. Um, they uh, want to get into kind of tech after business school. And the companies that they're targeting are Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Uber, Stripe, Spotify, Airbnb, Netflix, kind of a who's who of the internet economy there. <laughs> um, they have a 720 GMAT. They have a 3.1 GPA. And they've been working for four years. Um, and they mentioned that you know, currently they're in Singapore, but prior to that, they've lived in three countries across three different continents, um, and that they actually moved to Singapore for undergrad, and they'd gotten some kind of a scholarship, I guess, to, to pursue the degree that they pursued, which was in engineering, and they've just stayed since then. So I guess most of that moving around was when they were younger, like high school and, and younger. Um, in any event, they've had a pretty fantastic run with their career in the sense that they seem like they're really, you know, um, a, a sort of superstar with their business development. They, they generate over $2 million in annual revenue. They keep exceeding all of their kind of sales targets. Um, so Alex, what do you make of this? I will say this is a female candidate. Um, and, you know, she's kind of wondering, you know, what, like where, where does she fall here? Um, she's got a good list of target schools and it's a competitive list. But what do you make of her? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a potentially very strong candidate. Um, they, you know, they've got a, a, a good GMAT. Um, the work experience looks really good. I mean, we talked about this a little bit before, again, recording, Graham, in terms of business development. Um, we don't often see that in MBA admissions. Um, and I'm a bit surprised by that because I do actually think that a business development role is is a really interesting role. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, as as one of your, your the people that you saw this week said, I mean, if you if you can't sell stuff, you don't you know you're never going to be a good entrepreneur, et cetera, right. et cetera, et cetera. Right. So yeah. having a business development role and really building markets for your products and so on and so forth, I think can, can be a very positive thing. Um, so 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 that to me is very good. Um, yeah, they their undergrad um, GPA might be a bit of a question. 
Um, there, it's an engineering degree, and I think her her peers were all, um, you know, tops, you know, scholars, scholarship folks too. Um, but she was in the fifty percentile, I think, in terms of her class rank. So that could be a bit of a question. So my point with this candidate, Graham, is she might well, given her current profile, have access to all the schools that she's targeting. Right, M seven type schools mm-hmm. in different parts of the world. Um, and so on and so forth. Um, so, so she might already be there, but she might be able to do something in her candidacy just to shore stuff up. And what might that be? Maybe take HBS Core or MBA Math, right? So it seems to be a theme for all three of these candidates, right? But if she did, <laughs> right, does right. that, she's potentially closing up, up a, a potential weakness of, of the candidacy, um, that the very top schools might consider, i.e. that GPA and, and, and stuff. So if I was this candidate, I'd do MBA math anyway. Just get it done and explain why you did it. Boom. I think that that should really, really potentially help. Um, so but at the end of the day, it might not have any impact in as much as she might already be um, strong enough for the types of programs she's targeting, Graham. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. The other thing I wanted to ask you about is there are kind of two quick points. One is she doesn't really say where she's from originally, right? So we know she went to undergrad in Singapore and has stayed there since. And we know she's lived in three other you know countries in the world on, on three different continents. So I would be curious to know, like, what where is she from originally? And the reason I ask is because, you know, there's a difference between her being maybe originally from like Mexico versus say India, yeah. right? In terms of how competitive, what what's sort of where she'll be placed in the pool. So that would be good to know. And then the other question I had is, you know, she has this group of schools on her list that are very international. Um, and she says she'd work in the US, the UK or Singapore. But I just wondered, you know, would, do you think it makes sense for someone to kind of narrow that a bit? And then, because that would then help point her in the right direction. Like if she knows she wants to be in the US, well, suddenly Kellogg, Stern and UCLA are you know, really good options. Um, yeah. But if so, she knows she wants to be in London, yeah. it's so, different. So, you know? so Sloan and Ross and various others to fit, yeah. fit fit her goals. I completely agree, Graham. It's hard to really come up with a, a good target strategy when you're so open in terms of your geographic location. We've right. said this right. time and time again, geography matters. Yeah. And she said that, you know, she wants to work, you know, kind of in a corporate strategy role and, I think, you know, she is interested in, obviously in tech, but even, you know, in kind of fintech specifically. So I, I don't know if that drives any of this. Um, at least I thought she had said somewhere that she liked fintech stuff. Maybe I'm mixing her up with someone. But she, you know, if just if it's tech alone, like when you think about, you know, the U.S. schools, um, I wondered, and this is just me, but I wondered, like, how did she come up with Kellogg, Stern, and UCLA? I mean, all of them are placing people in tech, but are those the ones that jumped to mind immediately? Um, or do you think maybe she was driven by a desire to be in like, you know, L.A., New York or Chicago, which are the three largest you know cities in the United States and obviously very appealing for like all kinds of other reasons. Um, but I wondered if some of that was like driving this, you know, so it just kind of struck me. <laughs> so I don't know if you. So what, what three programs are you going to throw out there for tech in the U.S.? Well, I mean, I, I think, you know, obviously Kellogg's good. Um, I think, you know, I would you know, have to think about some of the programs that are, have proximity to, you know, the Bay area. So I recognize with her stats, you know, Stanford and and Berkeley are going to be, you know, not easy, but those are two that come to mind. I also think of programs like Tepper and MIT and even Wharton, 
Um, and the other thing is if she wants that kind of global flexibility, which she talks about in terms of working in different markets, then you kind of think about, well, which of these schools have the largest, broadest, most international alumni networks? And I think that's where the Whartons, the LBSs, the INSEADs, you know, even the Harvards come into play, where they have these massive networks all around the world so that you can plop down in kind of any big city and, and find, you know, contacts and get a job. So it's, yeah, it's a tricky thing. And I think, I think she's going to land on her feet. I think she will get into some of these programs and I like her candidacy overall. I do think it'd be cool if she did MBA math, that would help. Um, but I also just, yeah, just encouraging her to think really carefully about school selection and what's driving it. Cause I, I it's unclear to me how she came up with this list. Yeah. Completely agree, Graham. Potentially very strong candidate. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to thank her for sharing her profile. Um, I want to remind our listeners that, you know, they should um, rate and review the podcast. They should tell at least one, if not 10 people <laughs> that they know um, about how much fun it is to hang out with us every week and, and hear us talk about candidacies. Um, Alex, I want to thank you for picking these out as always. And yeah, I guess we're, you know, we're in the thick of it here. And, you know, it's just cool to see, you know, now there's some round two people, but this is an exciting time of year. Very good. Best of luck, everyone. Stay safe.